0: Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Amen. Well, as we have mentioned, today is Pentecost Sunday, and Pentecost Sunday is one of those Sundays in the liturgical calendar uh, that is both a day for us to celebrate, but also serves as a transition point. Uh, There are a number of these along the way. And we have been up to this point sitting in the life and the stories of Jesus, beginning in the season of Advent with his birth, moving into Epiphany, uh, where we think and meditate on him being revealed as who he is. We're coming out of Easter, which came just before that came Lent, uh, where we look at his death, Easter, his resurrection, and now we move into the season of ordinary time, where we've been sitting in the story and life of Jesus, how uh, his life reveals the kingdom of God now available to us. Ordinary time takes on a little bit of a different tone, and we're going to talk about this at length, and I think it's important for where uh, I think we need to go today, but uh, I think there's one story in particular that sums up the point of ordinary time, Uh, and it's the story of how Jesus meets his very first two disciples in John chapter 1. Uh, these two disciples had been disciples of John the Baptist, but John the Baptist, who's the cousin of Jesus, actually encourages them to go and follow Jesus. And they literally do this. Jesus is walking along and suddenly senses that someone's behind him and he turns around and here are these two young men who have been told to follow him. And so he stops and he asks them a question. And I love the questions Jesus asks because he asks them, friends, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Jesus asked them, what are they seeking? What do they want? What is their desire? And the question I think we have to ask is, well, why does Jesus care? Why does he ask them this? And I think it's because Jesus knew what we all long for. Jesus knew that our longings and our desires will determine how we organize our lives. All of us are intentionally arranging our lives to follow after what it is we want, Which is the reason why the number one question Jesus asks in all the Gospels is, What do you want? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? What's their reply? I don't think they know. Because their reply is, Well, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Where are your digs? Show us your crib, your house. And these two friends of Jesus, I think, in asking this question, are passionate about one thing. They long to live a good and beautiful life and they're really hoping Jesus will lead them to it. It's what they're hoping for. And the Jewish tradition, you would go and literally live with your teacher and with your rabbi. You would apprentice yourself to them and begin to pick up on their mannerisms, their way of preparing meals, of studying Torah, of praying, of caring for the poor. So for them in asking Jesus, rabbi, teacher, where is it that you're staying, they are going, We think you can teach us what it is to live the good life, and we want to do that. Jesus already knows this. He's not surprised by their answer. And what is his response? It isn't like, all right, well, here's your syllabus, and here's what this is going to look like. No, instead, what does he say? Come and see. Come and see. I told the children's formation class this early this morning, I said, hey, I'm going to let you all in on a little secret. I think Jesus is the smartest person who's ever lived. I think Jesus is the smartest person who's ever lived. Not just the most well-informed, but what I mean when I say the smartest person who's ever lived is that the one who Paul tells us all of creation was created through and is held together by that the reason why you and I are here with breath in our lungs, sitting in the seats, enjoying the sunlight, will later on enjoy fried chicken, all of those things, the reason why they exist is because of Jesus. Because of that, I would would argue Jesus knows something about reality and about how life is intended to work. And so what does any of this have to do with Pentecost? I think everything. Pentecost, we celebrate the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit. In fact, Acts 2, which Molly read a few moments ago, is the fulfillment of the promises Jesus is making here in John chapter 14. It's the inauguration of the age of the Spirit, the age of the church. But why is it that the Spirit comes? To what end? It's to, because the Holy Spirit is the very presence of God with us. But it's not just about God being with us. That is at the heart what it is intended to be. The spirit comes so that God might finally be with his people in the way in which he desires. But it's not just about warm, fuzzy feelings and about a sense of God with us. But the spirit comes to a specific end and I would argue that it's to this end to form our inner world in such a way that it becomes like the very inner world of Christ himself. That the Holy Spirit is given to the people of God to form our inner world, to begin little by little, to look more and more like the inner world of Jesus. And I recognize, even in saying all this, many of us have different relationships with the Holy Spirit. In college, I went to a graduation party of a friend, and this friend warned me before I got there that a certain family member was also going to be in attendance. And they go, and just so you know, no one likes them. I was like, that's kind of mean. And they're like, okay, you'll see. And sure enough, this person walks in and just has a very particular way of being with people. But it was very clear that everyone in the room was not thrilled that this person was here. They were a little odd and a little bit different and just had some trouble navigating the space. And for many of us, that's what we think of when we think about the Holy Spirit. We know the Father, we know the stories of the Son, but when we start talking about the Holy Spirit, we're like, is it going to make things weird? <laughs> There's other ones of us that the Holy Spirit is just boiled down to warm, fuzzy emotions that we can feel. Sometimes they go, sometimes they stay. Or maybe you've, the Holy Spirit's been explained to you as just something given by God to make you feel really bad about what you do. And over against, however you come in this morning and whatever perception of Holy Spirit you have, over and against this, Jesus today in John chapter 14 tells his friends, I'm going to send another. And that word another means of the same kind. I am going to send one of the same kind. And I think what Jesus is saying is if you like me, you're really going to like the Holy Spirit. If you like Jesus, you're really going to like the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit in all reality is the one out of the whole entire Holy Trinity that gets the least attention. The Celtic Christians oftentimes referred to Holy Spirit as a wild goose, because Holy Spirit can sometimes be elusive and a little bit hidden and a little bit shy and on the edges. A life that is busy and noisy oftentimes isn't conducive for Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit will wait. So things are quieted down. But the reality is, is that everything that happens in our lives of following Jesus is a result of Holy Spirit. Any true change is Holy Spirit. Any return to God is a result of the gentle nudge of Holy Spirit. Any healing is Holy Spirit. Any following of Jesus, our rabbi, is Holy Spirit. And so I want to sit with these words of Jesus this morning in three movements. Specifically looking at what the Holy Spirit's role is in our following Jesus. And so the first movement is Holy Spirit in the stories we tell. The second one is Holy Spirit in the practices we practice. And the third movement is Holy Spirit in the community of God's friends. And so this first movement, Holy Spirit and the stories we tell, Jesus says, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. What Jesus is getting at here is that Holy Spirit is our unseen teacher who points us to Jesus and reminds us of Jesus's stories of Jesus's words and of Jesus's teachings and what Holy Spirit does is Holy Spirit helps us change our stories to Jesus's stories to see our stories as a part of Jesus's stories. Because the reality is you and I live by our stories. We live by and we live out of our stories. We have a way of turning any experience that we want to try to wrap our heads around. We have a way of turning them into stories, right? The moral of the story is it's how we make sense of the world is through story. And we have all kinds of stories. Each of us in our bodies have all kinds of stories. We have family of origin stories. We have cultural stories. We have religious stories and for followers of Jesus, we have Jesus stories. And we are shaped by these stories. We are formed deeply by these stories. In fact, I believe that it is out of the stories that our actions are and our behaviors flow. That's why I even right Brene Brown time and time again goes, okay, what's the story you're telling yourself? She doesn't say that before the action. She says it after the action as a way of making sense of why we do the things we do. The reality is stories are running our lives, which is why it is crucial, friends, that we have the right stories, that we're curious about the stories we tell, the stories we're living out of. Again, Jesus is the smartest person who's ever lived. Jesus' stories are not some true stories amongst other true stories. They are the truth, the way, and the life. The story Jesus is telling is not one good story amongst many. It is the story to which all other stories look and to which all other stories we hold up against and immerse ourselves in. And Holy Spirit is given for this very aim. The Greek word that shows up a lot in the New Testament is metanoia, which is the word for repentance, which simply means to rethink your thinking. And this is why. Because we live out of our stories, the stories we tell ourselves, the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and the world, about God. And I've said this before, we're not brains on a stick, but friends, we do have brains. We're called to be thinking beings, which is why Paul will tell us that renewal begins in the mind in the stories we tell ourselves. Why in Colossians 3, Paul will say, set your minds on things above where Christ is. Literally aim your thoughts, aim your mind, aim your thinking toward Jesus. And that brings us to the second movement, not only Holy Spirit and the stories we tell, but the second movement, Holy Spirit and the practices we practice. Jesus says in verse 12, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do. So how do we get the stories of Jesus into our bones, into the well water of our lives? Well, the simple answer, and this is something that the church has known for centuries, is we do so through practices. Practices that get those stories not just in our heads, but in our very bodies, right? The the most often thing that these things are called are spiritual disciplines. And yet, I will say, even though I use that term, I think there's a little bit of a danger in those terms. Because friends the disciplines are not spiritual you are Reading scripture praying silence and solitude fasting taking a nap right lectio nappa <laughs> Those things in and of themselves are not spiritual you are Those practices simply create space for holy spirit to take you a spiritual being and train your soul Move those stories deep into your bones to form your inner life. That you are more and more, little by little, increasingly become the kind of person who does what, the things that Jesus did. They're soul training exercise. These disciplines are wisdom, they are not righteousness. That's what I mean by these things are not spiritual. If you read your Bible and you walk away feeling really good about yourself just because you read the Bible, it's a little bit, that will only last you so long. You can willpower your way through reading slowly through scripture and listening. But eventually, it's just going to fizzle out because your will, that is in so many deep layers inside of you, is running on a little bit of a different story because you're spiritual. They are wisdom wise practices that retrain, reorient our inner lives, but they have no value without the Holy Spirit. These are spaces we create for grace, for the kind invasion of God's life into our life through the power and the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. The third movement, though, is the Holy Spirit and the community of God's friends. Jesus says this in verse 17, This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. And you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. Now up to this point, most of us have probably been thinking about all of this in a very individualistic level. But Jesus is talking here to a group of women and a group of men who have followed him since the earliest days of his ministry. This group of women and men will go on to found what has been the aim of God in all of human history. We call it the church. I love how Dallas Willard, who's a hero of mine, how he puts it, how he describes the church. He says the aim of God in all of human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with God himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. Holy Spirit is not just doing work individually, but Holy Spirit is healing and forming each of us, is giving to each of us gifts and graces that are meant to be used in the context and for the benefit of one another. To grow even little by little into the image of Jesus cannot be done in isolation. Because that isn't God's aim of human history, which means to be isolated is to be missing the mark of what God intends for the good life to be. It's intended to be shoulder to shoulder with a group of really beautiful and really messy people. Why the author of Hebrews will say in Hebrews 10, and let us consider how to spur one another on to good deeds. Yes, amen, right? To spur one another on. And I'm not thinking about like the coach who's screaming at you. But I'm thinking about the friend who is willing to put you over their shoulder and go, I've got you for the next step. It's the friends in Luke chapter 5 that are willing to put their friend on a mat and carry him to Jesus. And I don't know, this is just my own imagination. I have to imagine that those friends knew that one day they would need help being carried too. That's the image we're given here, of spurring one another on to good works and to good deeds. But what does the author say right after that? And let us not neglect meeting together as some have made a habit, but let us encourage one another all the more as we see the glorious day of his return approaching. Because friends, when we gather together, Holy Spirit is once again at work with the single intention of leading us deeper into the love of Jesus and the Father. And so I want to end with this, With what my hope is for those who are ready and recognizing not everyone is and that's okay because we're not going anywhere. But for those who are ready as we move through Pentecost and Trinity Sunday into ordinary time, my hope is actually really simple. My prayer for our church is that we would tend to life in the spirit. Most of us are too busy, myself included, I am the chief amongst us of tending to our lives that are visible rather than invisible. And we live in a world that compels us and rewards us for tending to that which is only visible. And yet over and over again, God brings us back to the fact that the, in, to, in the kingdom, the invisible is more real than the visible. And in my own life, I recognize often it has taken a crisis and a suffering to reveal how shaky the roots of my tree are. And many of us know what it's like. And what it feels like to shake or even topple. And that's why Paul tells us in Colossians, we must be rooted to grow. And so my hope for us as we move into this season of ordinary time is little by little, whatever that looks like, even if it's just a little bit more this year than it was last year. Little by little that we would together, shoulder to shoulder, root ourselves in God. Root ourselves in God's stories, in God's practices, and in God's community. And I know what that looks like for me. I can't pretend to know what that looks like for you. So here's how we're going to close. You'll notice in your liturgy guide, there's a place that we've started putting in there for response. Again, this is something uh, we used to do and we're bringing back. Of creating space after we've heard God's word and God speak to reflect. And so what is that invitation for you as we enter into the summer? Into ordinary time? to root ourselves, is it in God's stories, God's practices, God's community? I'm just gonna invite us for just a moment to just sit and to listen, maybe write something down that caught our attention, and then after a few moments of silence, I'm gonna invite us to confess our faith together. The Lord bless you and keep you,